Hello and welcome to the J-Rod Sports Pod with me, James Robson and Ollie Dix. So tonight, Ollie and I are actually in different parts of the country recording this remotely. And the other issue that we're facing is that there is a lot of important and exciting sport going on tonight. So we've recorded the first half of this conversation earlier in the afternoon and the second half we recorded late at night just to make sure we got all the latest headlines in. So let's jump straight into the conversation Ollie and I were having earlier about the sport this week. Right, so Ollie, then let's start with the um, the transfer news that's been happening in football over the last couple of days, and um, let's start with Arsenal, who look like we might be just about to get over the line with an Aubameyang deal, with you know whilst losing Lacazette to Atletico Madrid. Do you think that's like a good scenario for Arsenal? Do you think that's like a win-win scenario for Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that then pushes Aubameyang to play through the middle and if the Willian deal comes through like we expect it then pushes like Willian and Pepe either side of Aubameyang um, which you know I don't know is that an upgrade who knows really like I guess it's a bit of a change of system but if Aubameyang can score 20 odd goals from the left wing you'd expect him to score just as many and maybe a few more like as a central striker and I think that's probably what he wants as well um, but you know, thirty million for Lacazette is probably about right, and gives Arsenal then the opportunity to go out and potentially spend where they need to spend. Yeah, it sort of it sort of frees Aubameyang up to be the point man and be the the focus and the centre of attention. Um, which I'm not sure it's not necessarily something that he needs or wants, but um, if you're paying him two hundred fifty grand a week you want him to be the centre of attention and you want him to be earning that money. Um, and then moving on to another signing, which is sort of hanging in the in the balance. Um, Dortmund have said that Sancho is going to stay with them this season. Um, now... Uh, there's a, uh, you said this uh, on, on Friday. There's a lot of back and forth going with this. And it's hard to know, like, which bits to believe and which bits to just brush off as like speculation back and forth because United had said that today was like they'd set themselves a deadline to get this deal done and because this today's when Dortmund go to Switzerland for their training camp for the start of a Bundesliga so like it gone no but then it's like you know Dortmund say this and they but they said the same thing with Dembele in 2017 and two months later he was out the door yeah, I think like Dortmund have set a price of I think it's like 120 million for Sancho, and I think if United, no matter where Sancho is in the world, if United pay that amount like properly and like more upfront, and then I think he'll go. But at the moment, it seems like United are trying to do it over like three years and be a bit cheaper on this first year and everything, where most clubs will take a hit because of like COVID. Um, so, like, it is. It's yeah. It's interesting to see what will happen with that. Yeah, and no, it is. Um, and then, you know, Ainsley Maitland Niles um, seems to be generating a lot of interest. You know, for Arsenal, who are happy to let him go um, because it will raise, you know, it will raise funds for them to spend. You know, on on positions that they need need more. 
uh, depth that. Um, and the rumours are that two Premier League clubs and one Bundesliga club are interested. And one of those English sides is Spurs. I mean, it would be a bit of the kicking, a bit of a kick in the teeth to let him go to Spurs. But if we can get a good price for him, he's a player that's being underutilised at, at Arsenal, isn't he? Yeah, and I think this is the where like Arsenal need to benefit from such like good young talent like we spoke about how good 30 million for Lacazette would be for them to go and spend if they could get you know north of somewhere around like 12 to 15 for for Maitland-Niles then actually like you're starting to get around a, like some funding that actually helps you get a, a world-class player or at least like a top class player and like even if you went and tried to sign potentially like Coutinho on a permanent deal like that's the kind of money you would need and we know that Arsenal are quite they don't like to spend money freely um, and for a player that's only started one game after lockdown he doesn't seem to be in Arteta's immediate plans and I would argue that one of if not Aubameyang then one of Arsenal's best players after lockdown was Tierney um, and he's exciting to watch, and I think that having someone like that play consistently now, like almost removes the need for someone like Maitland Niles. Yeah, I hundred percent agree, and, and I think Tierney is definitely some someone that Arteta sees being a foundation for that for his Arsenal team moving forward. Yeah, he um, very quickly became like in the conversation of like one of the best young left backs in the league, didn't he? Like alongside Robertson and like. One Basaka, like very quickly after a few games, people are like this boy's good. Yeah, and then moving on to City, um, you know, with Nathan Arkey coming in from for, for forty-one million from Bournemouth. I mean that he obviously comes in at the top of the sort of roster of of uh, you know those kind of players, and Otamendi seems to be on the chopping block. They they say they're willing to let him go for eight million, but I mean that's so previous that's a to yeah previous to Ake they were they were stuck at fifteen. They were like we're not letting him go for anything less than fifteen. Now I think he is like thirty three now, so like obviously he's an aging centre back, and and like you said, I assume Ake has some promises that he's going to start if you're coming in for that much money, um, but to let him go for just eight million is yeah, a bit of a joke, it feels like. Um, but I mean, he did, he like, did have that massive knee injury the other year. Yeah. Um, but but again, like we've spoken a lot about Premier League teams, especially needing some help in the defence, and I don't think he'll struggle to to find a new team, even if it's on like a one, two-year deal. But also, he might actually want to go and play like elsewhere in Europe, because he was at Valencia, I think. So, you know, he might be quite happy to go to go back to Spain he'd be a good person for Arsenal to pick up yeah I mean every every defender is a good person for, Ar- for Arsenal but he but I mean like he kind of knows the system and he knows Arteta and he yeah, knows and what I th- he's required to do there I think that's like one of the good things now with Arteta is you I think you'll see a lot of players like want to play for him yeah and and because like they've seen him like make that step up and I, I like Otamendi very much fits in that group okay and the last thing we need to talk about when it comes to transfer news is <clears throat> Jurgen Klopp has been told if he wants to sign Thiago I mean he has to raise the funds somehow 
you know, sell players, move players, renegotiate contracts, some some way to figure out how to get his hands on Thiago. But I mean, Thiago did put on an exceptional performance against a Chelsea side that were sort of running beaten already. Yeah, I mean, like he is a world class player, and if if anyone had forgotten that, like like you said, his performance against Chelsea reminded everyone of that. Um, if push comes to shove, and Klopp says, "Look, I can guarantee we'll win the league next year if you sign me, Thiago," I think Liverpool will. But at the moment, it doesn't seem like anyone else is interested in like really going out and getting him and. So I do think like there's a bit of time on the side and there's no way Thiago's going to want to move with the way Bayern are playing in the Champions League at the moment. No. So speaking of that Bayern team, and let's move on to the Champions League fixtures that have happened over the weekend. And let's start with that Bayern-Chelsea game. Um, Bayern were 3-0 up after the first leg and then won 4-1 um, this weekend, that's that. Put, I mean, seven-one on aggregate is a pretty convincing victory for them. Since 2015, uh, Bayern have scored 32 goals and conceded six against London clubs. So they look, I mean, they look like imperious at the moment when it comes to playing British opponents. Yeah, I think there's like two five-nil wins against Arsenal, a five-one win against Arsenal. I think it's like 7-2 against Spurs on aggregate um, and then like another 3-1 against Spurs somewhere else um, and there's obviously Chelsea now like 7-1 so like a Bayern, a Bayern rule London at the moment um, like and and they, they look so good like uh, Robert Lewandowski looks like arguably like the best striker in world football at the moment um, I think he's averaging a goal like every 47 minutes, which is... Obscene. Like, yeah, just just obscene. Um, and and I, if, I'm, if, I, if you push me to pick a side to win the Champions League, I would have to go with them just with how, how good they are. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, my, my pick would probably be out of our next game. Uh, City beat Real 2-1. Uh, 4-2 on aggregate and a motivated City side that I mean have have to the, I think the reason they're so playing so well is because of how good Liverpool were in the league this is City's chance to say hang on they're not out and out the best team in England yeah 100% if if City can win the Champions League they, I think like they still have a bit of a saving grace as to look like we are still you know, they could say they're the best team in Europe and actually, Len, you know, you're arguably your two best teams in Europe are from England um, and and they have a great opportunity to do that and and played very well against uh, a good Real Madrid side but a Real Madrid side that does seem to lack that that extra bit of quality. Like, we've been so used to seeing Ronaldo play on the biggest stage for them all and and always perform on that stage and at the moment Hazard is a shadow of the player he used to be and they don't and we're playing Bale on the bench or I don't think even think they he, he was on the bench he for this like go. they don't they don't have someone of that quality that can turn a game on its head at the moment I don't think and so you know a very good result for Man City to beat Real both at home and away yeah and um 
you know, should they beat Lyon, they will have Barca uh, or Bayern uh, in the semis, which would be a fascinating encounter. Yeah, I mean, you, you expect the winner of the Champions League to come from that side of the draw, don't you? Yeah. Um, okay, so Barcelona, 3-1 up against Napoli, 4-2 on aggregate. Um, haven't won this competition since 2015, so it's like... Is this the monkey on their back? Is this something that they need to they need to do? I think so. Like we, uh, obviously, I've watched this many a times. But the the comeback Liverpool made at Anfield, like for they won four 0 and I think that that completely almost derailed Barca a little bit, um, especially having um, lost to Roma the year before in the semi in the quarterfinals. Um, this is a competition we've gotten so used to seeing Barca do well in and win because for so long they were the best team in Europe and five years is too long for a Barcelona team to not be in the final or at least win the uh, Champions League so so yeah I think Messi's always said like this is what they need to win and, and they seem to be like quite motivated to do that this year yeah Okay, and then moving on to Juventus. I mean, Juventus against Lyon. Uh, Juventus won two one, uh, but it was two two on aggregate, and Lyon went away went through on away goals. Um, and I think the the most interesting thing to come out of this game is the fact that, um, I mean, straight after the game, Juventus sacked Maurizio Sarri, um, despite having won their ninth consecutive Serie A title this year yeah and I think that's almost what sacked him I think you're in a lose-lose situation at the moment at Juventus like we've seen uh, Conte go there after he was at Chelsea well I mean Sarri seems to be following Conte's uh, managerial journey a little bit like winning the league is almost I think assumed at Juve now because it has been like like you said nine consecutive years so actually you need to do more than that and you know they only won the league by one point in front of Inter Milan and I think yeah it just with Ronaldo I think they expected to make that next step and and that hasn't happened and losing to Leon is someone uh, as a team that like, I don't think you'd expect no and I think the, the you know Another thing that you've got to point out with this is that he's been replaced with Andrea Pirlo, um, who has two weeks of coaching experience. He was appointed to the under-23s two weeks ago, and now he's coaching the Juventus first team. Um, I mean, an interesting decision. Uh, We will have to wait and see how that pays off, but we are not holding our breath. And I think we may well be seeing the first time in nine or ten years that Juventus don't win the Serie A next year well like it, it almost sets him up to unless like uh, he, the contract he signed is only for two years so like I don't think there's like exactly a load of faith there for Juve to be like look implement your style of play like we're happy to wait three or four years like that's not the case this is a team that's already there and it's fine-tuning that it needs and if Perlo doesn't win Serie A it's hard to imagine that he stays and like yeah it's just then like where does he go from there because then he won't have proven anything in his managerial career and that's just such a 
a hard place to come back from. Okay, and then looking forward to the quarterfinals that we got coming up. Um, Atalanta against PSG on Wednesday. Um, not a position we're used to seeing Atalanta in, is it? No, like very much like the past few years have have become a a rising team in Italy. Uh, they finished third again um, this year, so we'll play Champions League football next year again. Um, and yeah, I, this is a massive achievement for them to get here and most pundits kind of assume that this is as far as they'll go and actually uh, one of the top teams in PSG will, will will come out victorious. I think the the important thing to stress though is that these these are the ones that are going to be single leg fixtures. Yeah. So I mean it, it's any given Sunday, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, like upsets are more likely to happen in single single fixture sort of rounds of of knockout championships. So, I mean, I, I, that's a game where an upset is. It, it, I'm not going to say is likely, but is but it's certainly possible on the cards. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Okay, then moving on to Leipzig uh, against At- Atletico Madrid. Um, on Thursday Timo Werner not present as he is training with Chelsea Uh, so Leipzig are are down their biggest threat Um, yeah very much so but not the biggest news no but two yeah so two Atletico Madrid players have tested positive for Covid and the team and its staff are all being retested the game is going ahead as of this moment um but it will be it's one of those things like kind of like we've seen with uh, major league baseball we're all kind of waiting with bated breath to see what happens if it does get postponed and how uefa deal with it yeah and what's important to stress here as well is that these eight teams that are in the quarterfinals to play these games the final eight they are all travelling to Portugal to play these games behind closed doors. So I don't think UEFA are really going to want to bring a team that that has like however many players tested positive or staff like that completely changes the entire like concept of this mini tournament basically and and it's going to be yeah like a real shame if it gets postponed and they just have to say like we have to carry on because the semi-finals are next Tuesday and Wednesday, I think. So, like, <laughs> this isn't a thing that's being stretched out over months. Like, so, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Right, moving on to the NBA now, and unfortunately for fans of Zion Williamson, the New Orleans Pelicans have been eliminated from the playoff race yeah a, a, a big we're now five slash six games into the uh, end of the regular season um, the the play in race um, and both the New Orleans Pelicans and the Sacramento Kings have been eliminated from that race after the Portland Trailblazers like we spoke about on Friday continued their run of form beating the, the Philadelphia 76ers so a lot is going on in the NBA right now, and it's, it's so hard to keep up with everything. 
Um, I think just, I mean, a sort of a slight side note for fans of the game, long, long standing fans of the game. Uh, Carmelo Anthony has moved above Paul Pierce to be the 15th highest all time scorer in NBA history. I mean, it's, he, he was, I mean, he's been written off by everyone. Yeah, um, definitely. In the last two years. And he's, re, you know, he rejoined the Portland Trailblazers and beca- has become the Carmelo Anthony that we were used to seeing in his heyday. Yeah, I mean, like, Melo's, like, I think he's, there's 10 seasons where he's averaged 20 points per game or more. Uh, there's three seasons where he's averaged 28 points per game or more. So, like, it's he is an out-and-out scorer and, and one of the best, like, players in the game of like getting to his spot doing his move and even though you know what he's about to do he still does it and he still scores um and after joining the Houston Rockets and that not really working out with uh Chris Paul and um James Harden like had a bit of time away from the game and nobody really seemed to want to re-sign him and the the Blazers it seemed apparently took a chance on him when actually uh, it seems like it was a uh, an easy win for anyone who would pick up Melo. Okay, and then let's move on to um, the Memphis Grizzlies. Yep. Who won a vital game against uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder before losing to the Raptors on Sunday night. That means they are half a game in front of the Portland Trailblazers after six games in the bubble. They've got the Celtics and the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks in their remaining two games. The Portland Trailblazers have got the Dallas Mavericks and the Nets. I think that's going to swap round. Yeah, so like the interesting thing here is like, and there's, as well, we, we will have to kind of go through every scenario here that's possible, but we spoke about at the start of the, our, well, in our catch-up series that uh, the ninth seed had to be within four games of the eighth seed to get a play-in kind of series or battle which would either be a one-game series or a two-game series Um, and we now have three teams that are within one and a half games of the Grizzlies so like we are definitely getting this this play-in battle to who gets to decide to, to decide who gets to play uh, the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs and it's you know one of those teams are the Phoenix Suns who are the hot hand you know in the bubble they're the only unbeaten side tonight Monday night they're playing Oklahoma City Thunder then they've got the Philadelphia 76ers and the Dallas Mavericks I mean they're they're a they're a team who don't have to do much to put themselves into a commanding position. No, like like you said, like this is obviously by Tuesday this will all, all be all be knowledge to everyone. But if they do win tonight, they they are level with the Blazers. So then you have two teams within half a game of of the Grizzlies. And if I'm being honest, I, I'm not confident of the Grizzlies winning either games against the Celtics and the Bucks. Like it just, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, given that they're like one and five in these six games so far, and it's just like it is possible that they completely miss out of this playing battle, and we could be looking at actually 
the Blazers and the Suns being in that those the eighth and the ninth seed or, or and we haven't even mentioned the Spurs who are a game back at the moment they play the Rockets and the Jazz I think that's one of the tougher schedules as well um, so yeah it's just crazy at the moment yeah okay and then so their final um, seeding games finish on the 12th of August how how is that you know the, the 12th going to look for those teams that are eliminated from the playoffs yeah so like if you make it all the way in the playoffs you'll have spent three months in the bubble now some teams like we mentioned the Pelicans for sure uh, the the Sacramento Kings the Washington Wizards in the east um, they will all leave the bubble uh, on August the 12th which is their when their final game is after that game they will be taken to one of the resorts and be given a room a designated room to shower in they receive a meal and then they go straight onto the bus to the airport where they'll fly back to their uh, home cities and then diverge from there and that's their season just all of a sudden quite like over straight away so like it is a yeah, it's, it's cr- crazy times um, right now, and, and a lot of change. But I think what we've what we've got to stress here is that whilst it sounds a bit um, archaic or a bit heavy-handed, the NBA has proved that this is the way to do things, um, and they have handled this coronavirus, you know, pandemic absolutely masterfully, because they have managed to get high-quality sport on TV for everyone to watch and nothing has gone wrong so far uh, yeah no 100% and like you can only touch wood that um, the tests that they keep doing where we've had no positive cases for such a long time like that's so good it's basically and I know some players have come out and said that they struggle with this but it's it's basically basketball all day every day um, there's like no rest from it like games are much more spread out very rarely are there two games going on at the same time so so yeah like we are we are being treated at the moment and once the playoffs start that is only going to get better and better so quickly Robbie I have to ask who makes that who is that eighth seed we know there's a playing battle so like who what after the playing battle so so who's your eighth seed and who's your ninth seed and then who wins the playing battle um (laughs) i think it might well be the blazers and the suns yeah i i know this isn't great podcasting but i agree with you and um i think the suns are going to run out of steam because they're they're the ones that are going to have to win two games on the on the trot aren't they yeah exactly so if this like in the playing battle the eighth seed wins the first game then it's over if the ninth seed wins then it goes to a second game which is like a winner takes all situation so yeah, like being the ninth seed, you are at a massive disadvantage. Right, now let's quickly run through 
some of the plans of the MLS, which we haven't really spoken about, but they've also been in a bubble down in Orlando. I mean, we're going to talk about them for a couple of reasons. First of all, they're coming to the end of their bubble. We've got the final on Wednesday, Portland versus Orlando City. But, I mean, almost immediately, they're going back to finishing their 2020 regular season, aren't they? Yeah, so, like, what's interesting, like, and why I think, you know, we're probably learning as listeners learn with us, you know. Um, the NBA decided to finish their regular season and the playoffs that, that for, yeah, like, that bring that, the 2020 season to a close. The MLS used this bubble as basically, like, a World Cup tournament type, like, bubble. So... It is like you said the final is on Wednesday and then on the Thursday teams will start playing like the first phase of this f- regional this is so hard to explain on Thursday teams will start playing like resuming their regular season games so teams will play another 18 games now the first six of those games will be played in the regional markets so like you won't have teams travelling very far at all. This takes us to the September the 14th when the remaining schedule will be announced and the the ne- those next 12 games, like, we'll be told what they look like, whether it remains in regional or, like, it's expanded a little bit more or what. So it, it's, yeah, there's a lot going on and if they can pull this off, I think it will show up baseball and the NFL because they're out of these bubbles Um, and it'll be very interesting to see if they can do this I mean if I was in charge of the MLS I think the thing that I'd be doing is actually saying you know what we've nailed it with the bubble we got we got it done let's let let's let other people make some mistakes now let's let let's let the focus be on the MLB let's let the focus be on the NFL when that comes back and let's see what happens and pick it up later on in the year because we've had um we've had time where we've been the center of attention yeah no i i i agree it's strange that they'd want to kind of have success with the bubble and then go and be like we're going to take a massive risk here and like potentially completely ruin the season um and like for example there are three teams three canadian mls teams um Vancouver, Toronto, and I knew I'd forget the third one, Montreal, who uh, who don't currently know what they're doing or whether they'll be involved because of travel restric- restrictions between the US and Canada. So it is, yeah, crazy. And on such a big day of, I think it's the 25th MLS season, and they made this announcement to finish this off, that's almost not the biggest news in MLS is it no so you know into Miami David Beckham's team um, are set to sign Juventus midfielder Blaise Matuidi um, I mean they only played five games in the bubble they had they had the en- unenviable uh, record of having as many red cards as they did goals they gained no points um, and Matuidi has come from you know, winning 16 titles in six years at PSG and then four straight, including four straight league league uh, titles. Then he went to Juventus where he just won three consecutive Serie A titles. The guy's like, the guy's a winner and hopefully Miami can sort of 
try and capture a bit of that spirit in, in their locker room. Right, so Ollie, we've had quite an exciting uh, evening of football, haven't we? And let's start with uh, Inter against Bayer Leverkusen, Inter Milan against Bayer Leverkusen. Um, neither of us are actually watching that match. We were glued to Man United versus FC Copenhagen. Um, but Inter got the win, uh, 2-1 over Bayer Leverkusen. Um, a spirited comeback. I mean, at one point, Bayer Leverkusen were 2-0 down and... At that point, it you know it can kind of be curtains, can't it? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, had we when we if, uh, yeah, I think so. Like the form that Lukaku's been on, um, and continue to show in the game. I think that that's nine straight Europa League games uh, that he's scored in now, um, and looks like the player we all expected him to be when he moved to Man United um, and like was at Everton um, and you know I think this could be a very a saving grace for them um, if Inter can go quite far uh, in the Europa League having finished just a point behind uh, Juve in, in the league so so yeah a good good solid win and Kai Havertz for Bayer Leverkusen who um, we've spoken about a couple of times going to Chelsea now out of the competition, like does that do you like expect to see him go to Chelsea quite soon now, or like yeah. they're out? They're out. So I think I think he'll be playing at Stamford, or he'll be signed up to Stamford Bridge by the uh, by the end of the week. Um, but I think my main takeaway from the game has got to be the fact that you know I think Inter Milan are going to win this. I think they've you know they've demonstrated that they can come through. A, a narrow game against a good opponent, um, and I think that's that was something that is reassuring to see uh, if you're an Inter Milan fan. So yeah, I mean, with the talent they've got on their team, I can't see anyone beating them at the moment. Yeah, a very, very, very talented team, like a lot of quality. Okay, and then moving on to the game that we were both following quite closely, um, Man United managed to squeak past. FC Copenhagen uh, in overtime uh, a Bruno Fernandes penalty um, but FC Copenhagen's defending and goalkeeping has to be commended yeah 100% like I just said to you just before we started recording this um, Carl Johan Johnson uh, goalkeeper of FC Copenhagen uh, made 13 saves uh, United had like yeah, just it was a bit of an onslaught at times. Um, they were very, very FC Copenhagen were very, very organised in the first half and the second half. But to, as they got tired in extra time, those those spaces started to form. And and when you do have like such an 
attacking team like United do, they were always going to struggle if they didn't squeak a goal. Um, and it could have been five or six, like if we're being honest. Uh, uh, does like Johnson not make those saves? Yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> if you are Man United and a Man United fan, as much as the silver lining is that you are, you know, through to the semi-finals of the Europa League, winning matches like that isn't really the standard that you're used to seeing and that you want to see, is it? No, it's it's not reassuring. Like. For, for a lot of the FC Copenhagen players, this will have been a bit of an advertisement for them, um, you know, to like kind of show show the rest of Europe like that they're capable of playing against teams of a high standard. But United didn't really hold up their side of the deal there um, when it comes to like a high standard. Um, and yeah, credit to them to take for taking it this far. But United, I would say, like would be a little bit worried. Um, based on that performance like if you're Wolves or Sevilla like you have to be kind of licking your lips a little bit as the fact that if that United team turns up in the semi-finals like you very much fancy your chances but I mean let's not forget you know just while we're talking about FC Copenhagen against Man United that I mean in 2006 United turned up uh, to Parken, which is FC Copenhagen's home stadium, with a team, you know, Rooney, Rooney up front, Ronaldo playing as well. And they, I mean, they got obliterated. I mean, 1-0, a fantastic goal from the shin of Marcus Albeck uh, within the, uh, within the, I, mean, I think he was about two yards off the line, but he controlled <laughs> it really well off his shin pad and just managed to scrape it over the line. And, you know, it's it's a game that... Speaking as someone who was born and raised in Copenhagen, it's a game that's still spoken about. You know, it's it's one of one of those defining moments. Where were you when Man United came to Copenhagen and lost? And I, for a long time in that game, I was like, "Here we go! It's a it, it, we're back. Yeah, we're back. Yeah, no. And look, I think it, they are those Europe, like special European nights, um, and." Yeah, very fortunate that you were um, you were able to see the only Copenhagen victory um, against English clubs ever. So, so I mean, they, that's not true. It, it, it is the 2006 success against United is Copenhagen's sole victory in ten competitive matches against in- English clubs, drawn four, lost five. Question, question the source, UEFA. So questionable. <laughs> I mean, define a competitive match. Yeah. Every time you step on the pitch, it's competitive. That's the way I. That's the way I play the game. Yeah, yeah okay. that's the way I play the game. <laughs> that that and a combination of very uh, inaccurate Route One football. Um, that those are my those are my two, you know, competitive but inaccurate Route One football. That's how you describe me as a centre back. <laughs> Um, so tomorrow we have two more games to look forward to in Europa League. Yeah, so we got Shakhtar Donetsk against FC Basel. Um, the worrying thing for me is so Shakhtar Donetsk score late. That you know they've scored in the 89th, the 91st, the 93rd minute to beat Wolfsburg three 0 you're not you don't want to be relying on the fact that you can score three goals when everyone's knackered 
what we would i mean what you what you can say is that especially the heat in portugal showed today that that's going to favor a team like Shakhtar Donetsk who are used to playing in hot and humid conditions but you don't want to be relying on scoring in the 93rd minute to win are you no no not at all and i suppose the stat that worries me when it comes to Shakhtar is that that game against wolfsburg um that was the first time in 27 Europa League matches that um, they kept a clean sheet. So if you're Basel, like, you kind of have the confidence that you can score at least one goal. And in these types of competitions, that just puts you in the game straight away, especially when, like, like we've seen, the play is definitely going to be slower. Like we're almost looking at the kind of quality of games that we saw at the start of the Premier League where it was a bit stop-start, teams were looking to find their rhythm and like you just have to question whether that will be the case tomorrow as well for those teams. But also, I mean, the thing thing that's important to point out is like Basel were playing in the Swiss Premier League as recently as a week ago. I mean, like, you know, they were playing last Sunday or last Monday. So you're looking at a team who hasn't really had any time off but is in that sharp football shape. Yeah, no, you hope that like that, that, that favours you and that you are sharper. Yeah. And then the other game that we got tomorrow is Wolves against Sevilla. Um I mean a bit, a bit of an interesting a bit of an interesting one this because I don't think um I don't think Wolves have you know will be scared going into this. No, I, I reckon they fancy their chances. I would say that I am slightly concerned if I am a Wolves fan, though. Because if I think about Sevilla and like European success, I feel like there's a bit there. You know? Um, and, you know, this year they finished fourth in the La Liga, same points as Atletico Madrid. I think when we talk about Atletico and we talk about Sevilla, we talk about two very different teams and hold them to two very different like standards. But actually, like this year, like same amount of points. If like you're going off kind of a bit of a form book, like Sevilla won four of their last five games in La Liga and are a very very good team. And like I don't think Wolves should like underestimate like who they're going to be going against. No, but if we look at if we look at the Premier League of late, what we've always said about Wolves is that where they struggle are against teams they should beat, and they always turn up against those big opponents. And I think this is another absolutely trademark. You know, Wolves are going to cause an upset here because they're they're a team that on paper they should lose to. But Wolves are really good at getting that underdog mentality. And also with the fact that um, Arsenal won the FA Cup, Wolves have got a lot to play for now. Yeah, 100%. I think there'll be definitely a lot of pressure there. Like, uh, yeah, I just... Big European nights, like it's not something that you associate with Wolves and, and this will be one of those. And you just hope that they that, that the side that turned up against Chelsea isn't the side that turns up, you know? Like, you, losing 3-0 to a Chelsea side that was questionable at times uh, towards the end of the season. Like, you do you do wonder, like, 
you hope that that team doesn't turn up and actually the team that has given so many of the top teams in the Premier League like a run for their money at times like is the one that turns up. Okay, now Ollie, the last bit of news we got to get to tonight is um, going back to the Orlando bubble and the NBA. Uh, and you've been keeping quite a close eye on this. Uh, the Phoenix Suns have taken apart the Oklahoma City Thunder, haven't they? Yeah, it was it was one of those games that was over at the end of the third quarter. Um, the Suns, led by uh, Devin Booker, who continually goes to show that he he probably should be elsewhere um than 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 the suns um but the suns are now um you know uh half a game closer to to the grizzlies um and are well within that fight for for the playoffs um and the playing battle and like we said both of us predicted that it it well, we we think it will be the tra- Portland Trailblazers versus the Phoenix Suns in the playing battle, and that the Grizzlies will miss out. And so, um, the Suns are doing their part to uphold that bit and go to six and zero um, in the in the NBA bubble, which is they're the only unbeaten team at the moment. And it's but this this is the kind of form you need if you're if you are going to make the playoffs when you start like five games behind so so yeah I mean fair play and it's exciting basketball still isn't it yeah it is I mean OKC came out of the gates pretty hot I mean they were 37-23 up at the end of the first quarter but then Phoenix really got rolling you know into the half um, and 42 points in that second quarter is something that you can't as an OKC fan um, let slip I mean if is this bigger than just the bubble for OKC? Is this more worrying for next season as well? I I think it's these are I think like you have to be careful like about these like these bubble games and that like we don't read too much into these like regular season games. You'll have teams that are you know just a bit streaky. The the Thunder don't really have anything to play for at the moment. Like it's a strange environment you'll have different players finding their rhythm at different times at the end of the day like the thunder are in the playoffs so they need to they need to get past like that first round of the playoffs whether that's against the rockets or the nuggets like whoever that's against their success will be based upon how they do in the playoffs like with such a young core and Chris Paul, like the Thunder weren't supposed to be here or this good this year because of trading away like Russell Westbrook to the Rockets and all of their pieces elsewhere. Paul George went to their uh, Clippers. Like the Thunder weren't expecting to be here. So actually to trade away two of your biggest stars and only be four wins off the, the two seed, I think is a great place for the Thunder to be. Um, and and yeah, like we're going playoff basketball is the highest level of basketball, and it's an exciting place to be. Right, so thank you very much for listening to that episode of the J Rod Sports Pod. Uh, we've covered quite a lot of ground there, and of course, 
tomorrow we will be bringing out our Formula One special episode, which we're going to record with special guest host Sam Corti. But until then, please make sure that you subscribe, follow us on social media, and let us know if there's anything you want to hear.